Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning in our last, uh, well, my last service of 2021. Look forward to being back here with you, Lord willing, on New Year's weekend. So uh, behave yourselves. I'll be in town. Uh, Very, very thankful for this fall and um, early winter with you. It's good to be here. Let's pray. You'll notice that I did go into some narrative text today, despite promising not to, but uh, I couldn't resist. We'll, We'll spend a lot of time with this blessed woman, Mary, learning about happiness from her story. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercies. I pray that you would instruct us in who you are, who we are, what you've done, and what we should do. We pray this by the power of Jesus, and we trust that the Holy Spirit will give us ears to hear. Amen. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, And tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment to what God has spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble 
estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Amen. Well, Isaac and I have some things in common. Not only do we button our shirt all the way to the top today, which Isaac does all the time. But uh, we both tend to get a little grumpy around Christmas. I'm much better at it now, but, but my wife, when I was a senior pastor at a church, may have once or twice called me Pastor Scrooge. <laughs> I think that uh, Christmas is challenging, as we know, for so many of us, because it makes a promise about um, happiness. It's wrapped and swept up in so many things that have to do with Jesus and have nothing to do with Jesus. But the overall message is uh, an opportunity to find joy and satisfaction. And that's difficult in a world where happiness is so elusive. And so in Seattle, where um, a lot of people are just frankly too hip to be happy, but really all over the world, even here in Boise, It's a challenge to make the emotional investment needed to let yourself really be happy without that cynic of safety guarding you from being disappointed. What I've learned um, in my journey of faith, which I'm thankful is becoming a journey to happiness, and by the way, God wants you to be happy, He wants you to be joyful. But God's okay with happiness. My journey is that the reason I've had such difficulty being happy is that I wanted happiness on my own terms. I knew what would make me happy, so I thought. And I knew what wouldn't. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake of of, uh, short-sighted unfaithfulness, the foolishness of the world. So... The reason happiness is elusive is that we want it on our own terms. The pathway to happiness is laid here before us, and it begins with the soul opening. And then we'll see that it erupts in the soul overflowing, and then finally returns and resides in the soul abiding. That's the the pathway to a kind of happiness that's rich and enduring. So let's take a look at the soul opening And the first thing that opens the soul, the first thing that strips Mary's heart open and makes way for happiness to finally reside in it is this grand disruption of the angel Gabriel coming to Nazareth. That's what we need to see at first. It is almost certain that in a fallen world where your affections and desires are bent and broken and and bruised and sometimes outright perverted, the only way to open your soul for real happiness will be as disruptive, either figurative or in Mary's case, literally, as an angel appearing and frightening you. Our eyes and our minds and our hands are so attendant to the world that we um, forget that happiness 
might come through the world, but it will never come from the world. And so Gabriel shows up six months into the history of the coming of the Christ. That's what he says. In the sixth month, that is six months since God has given a child that would be the forerunner of Christ to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In that six months, it seems, in the stream and the course of redemption, God is going to disrupt this young woman, Mary, and she's going to teach us what it means to overflow with joy and thanks to God. And that's the case for all of the disruption that comes to us. It all comes in the vortex and the the stream, the, the providential rhythm of God's redemptive purposes. It's always that way, or it's not true happiness. God's always drawing you into the jet stream of his redemptive providence and the fulfillment of his promises, because that, indeed, those are, we might say, the terms of your real, genuine, abiding, and true happiness. So how do we respond to that? How did Mary respond to that? Well, Mary didn't get happy at first, did she? It took a season for Mary to offer her great psalm, this Magnificat, as it's called, that we've um, been singing as a church people for thousands of years. At first, she was terrified. The disruption of the angel, uh, and if you study what angels seem to appear to be in Scripture, you will understand that it is a, a terrifying moment to be um, captured in their presence. And Mary was afraid, and um, she was um, troubled, we're told. And then if you go to the next phrase of, of that verse, we're told um, she tried to discern and figure out. She did what we, what we all do. What is happening to me? What does this mean? Is this friend or foe? Is this threat or blessing? Mary tried to navigate in her own heart the reality of a disruptive providence that uh, at that moment could have gone either way for her, like all of our providences, like all the things we do and we love. She was swept in. Why was she afraid? Well, we've already mentioned one reason. She was afraid because it was an angel. A messenger of God is a fearful thing. Of course, we No messengers bring ultimately good news, but good news itself has an edge and a radical, even ultimate character to it. So an angel came, and angels are scary. That's the story of the Bible. Every time an angel shows up, people freak out. So if you want an angel to show up, maybe just read your Bible again and say, this will do fine for me. But then as the story goes on, she's also afraid, like any woman would be afraid, because it's her body that he's speaking of. She understands. She's seen women give birth. She understands what's involved in that blessing and that toil. It's very real, like all disruption, and very personal for this young woman. And and she's also afraid Because if the son of David is going to come from her womb, she knows and believes, at least with her understanding now, that she will be the mother of a revolutionary who, uh, under the understanding of the 
Israelites in the first century would take up arms and overthrow, raise up an army and disrupt the great power of the earth, Rome. So yes, she's a little afraid. The pathway to the Magnificat, this great song, is disruptive and frightening. It's really disturbing. It's often like the pathway to our own um, path to happiness. So how does Mary respond to that? How does Mary respond? How can we respond to this disruption? Well, Mary asks a natural question, doesn't she? She says, how can this be? In the Greek, she says, because I've never been with a man. If you know the story, and it's okay if you don't. I went to seminary. I'd only read 20% of the Bible, and they let me in. So you're okay. You're okay at church if you don't know. But um, earlier in this chapter, a guy named Zechariah asked a similar question. And God made him uh, like shut his mouth. He couldn't talk for nine months. Mary doesn't get that kind of a response. She gets an answer because Mary, Mary says, how can this be? She's marveling. She's stunned. Zechariah said, how can I know? That's a very different question. Zechariah looked at the angel and said, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. I'm going to need a little more than that. This is the Mike Kelly uh, paraphrase. And uh, Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. You're not saying another word till the baby's born. Mary said, like all of us should say, how can it be? That's a fine question. To, To use the template of this pathway to happiness for us, You and I, we're allowed, not in unbelief, but in belief to say, how can this be good? How can this come true? How can I have hope since fill in the blank of what you don't have, what you think you need, your your health, your spouse, your business, your child to return to you, whatever you need. Ask that question. And then be ready for an answer that you will not understand. Because Gabriel's answer is cloaked in mystery. Gabriel's answer is beyond our understanding. This passage, in my view, is so sacred that, that I actually am timid when I, I... I feel uncertain when I try to exegete it, when I look at it in the scriptures because it's so profound and so intimate and so wonderful and glorious that well thousands of volumes over thousands of years have been written about what happened here and how the union of humanity and divinity was conceived in the womb of Mary And although the song is wrong, Mary most certainly did know who was coming. She didn't understand how he came. She didn't understand. And neither will you. The opening of the soul is um, worked by the disruption of the coming of God and its acquiescence to the mystery of his providence. You do not know how God is working out his ways in you. Interestingly, 
you do know this, with the similar language, the angels, or Jesus, excuse me, in Acts chapter 1 said, go back to Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes on you. He uses the same word. In, in some recollecting, in, in, some, in some analogous mystery, God has sent his spirit to the church. He abides in you. And he is the fount of your happiness, regardless of your circumstances, without your understanding. God's not obliged to explain to you what he is doing and how he will do it. You just need to know that all things are possible with him. That's what you need to know. The open soul says this. After all this disruption and all this answer, not answer, all this all these profound implications for this young woman. Now she's at the, at the gate, if you will, into a path where happiness and joy can fill her heart. And she says what we all should say, what we should wake and say every day. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word. That is the secret to happiness. The acquiescence at the providence and promise of God. To just abide, to accept, to obey, and to do like a child that doesn't understand what the day will bring wakes up and says, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? What do you have for me today? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the acquiescence of faith. When I turned 40... um, A good friend of mine, right before my 40th birthday, a dear friend, I've known him for 20, almost seven years. He said, he's about five years older than me or maybe a little more. He said, "Uh, Mike, I got one word for you uh, for the 40s. I said, all right, Ed, I'm ready. And he said, courage. And I thought, yeah, okay, Ed, good. And I ended up really needing courage. You know, you might not want to admit it, but your life is almost certainly a series of cliches one after the other. I had a midlife crisis. I, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't afford a motorcycle. So, um, you know, I, I led my church into multi-site ministry. That's what my midlife crisis was. Don't tell them that's why I did that, okay? Um, but it was a difficult, turned into a difficult season. But part of it was coming to terms with identifying and admitting the limitations of my life and my giftedness. And realizing that, um, you know, like I wasn't going to be in the Hall of Fame in the PCA. I know that sounds arrogant. 
You know why that sounds arrogant? Because it is arrogant. But, but in the 40s, it was coming to terms with the limitations, the, the fact that the, the cement was setting, you know, the, 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 the road that I was on, you know, wasn't 60 years long anymore. But here's what happened in the 50s. In my 50s, instead of just acknowledging them, in my 50s, God led me through this process where I started to delight in them. Like I was actually happy for the things that I could never do and for the gifts that I wouldn't have and for the accomplishments that would never be realized. Because slowly over those years, God starts to train us during one providential cliche after another. God trains us to say, behold, I am your servant. May it be done to me according to your will. So here's, I, I told somebody about two years ago, I told two people in the course of like a month, that I'm as happy as I've ever been. And both of them casually said, yeah, I've read that's very common for people in their late 50s and early 60s. So how are you going to think about that if you'll excuse this brief personal interlude? Is that, is that just a course of psychological development in the 20th and 21st centuries? Is it just how our minds work now? I don't know. It's got something to do with it. But, but what about this? Maybe it's not psychology, but providence and promise, or both. Maybe it takes us 50 years or 60 years for the hardness of our heart and the power of our passions. Maybe it takes us that many decades to give up pursuing happiness on our own terms. Maybe it's God's slow and abiding humbling of hard souls. Trying to get us to say, behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your will. So here's a secret for happiness if you're in your 30s. Start now with that. And stop trying to be happy on your own terms. And this is... Um, what in, in Mary's story, um, happiness will look like. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Well, her soul overflows at first about herself. I want us to see that happiness resides in God's favor for you. Then we'll see in his purposes for his kingdom. And finally, in his people. You know, Part of the delight of a child is to be pleased with what their father and mother have done. And Mary unapologetically delights in the favor that she's been given. My soul magnifies God. Why? 
Because I'm going to be called blessed for generations. Think about that. Think about how um, not selfish, but righteously self-focused that is. And take a lesson for your own life. Long, long to say the same thing about you. Look, generations will probably not call you blessed. I don't know what we'll tell of each other in heaven. But, but a couple generations might, and certainly you can. You can delight and meditate on the goodness of God to your soul. Measure your sins as best you can. And then remind yourself that God's love is far greater. And where your sin increased, his grace increased all the more. Think of the blessings and the gifts that you have been given your whole life that you don't deserve. Think of the beauty that you see and remind yourself that God has been good to you. Why is it so easy for us to vividly feel the disappointments and pains of life as if what happened in our childhood happened this morning? But the goodness and the kindness and the pleasure and the laughter and the satisfaction and the embrace, well, those things are like vapor. Once they're with us, they're gone. God has shown you favor. Paul says, he gave his life up for me. That's what Paul said in Ephesians. Or Galatians, excuse me. He gave his life up for me, for you. Meditate on the richness of God's kindness to you. Write it out. Get as small and granular about his blessings as you possibly can and get as grand and spectacular as you can imagine and catalog them all over your name and say, God has done this for me. My soul magnifies the Lord, for God looked on the humble estate of a servant. And I don't know about all generations, but I know this. I know this. My children and my children's children, by God's grace, will know that their father and their Baba thought that God blessed him far more than he ever deserved. That much I can know. But it can't just reside, this kind of happiness that opens with our acquiescence when God is the opening of the soul and then becomes the overflowing of the soul. It can't just stay with Mary and it can't just stay with Mike and it can't just stay with you. Listen to how confident she is in the purpose of God. She says, um, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Listen to all these verbs where God's doing the action. God has shown the strength of his arm. He's scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty and exalted the humble. And he's filled the hungry and he's sent the rich away empty. Your happiness is to be tied with the purpose and values of God. It's not enough for the Christian. Well, that's a start to be happy for what God has done for them. We should long to see God do for the rest of the world. We should notice, by the way, especially those of us who um, are by the world standards and even by America's standards, wealthy. 
we should notice that God's kingdom, what delights Mary and what delights God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we know this from these very words, is when the weak are made strong, when the hungry are fed, when the proud are made low. Nothing expresses your happiness more than giving and helping and caring for those who are in need. In fact, if your happiness stops with you, it's likely happiness on your own terms. I'm good. I'm done. I'm taken care of. He displayed his strength by redemption. He scattered the proud. He brought down the mighty. He exalted the humble. He filled the hungry. He sent away the rich. Do you understand what Mary's happy about? Mary is happy about the fact that God is making the world right. God is favoring the humble. And he is um, showing his might and judgment to the proud. So, if you want to be happy, which group do you want to be in? That's not a trick question. See, this, this happiness that breaks in, that opens our soul, <clears throat> it has implications to it. It's not just an emotional delight, but it's an inclination to the whole purpose and will of God and the people of God. Listen to this last part of this great Magnificat. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. You know, we might say that um, the beginning of the Magnificat is, um, is the joy of a soul redeemed. Um, the middle of it, which we've just seen, is the, the joy and happiness of the kingdom of God established. And this last part is... Um, the, the joy of God's favor to his people. Now here's a little biblical theology. The kingdom of God is not equal to the church. It's his rule over the whole world. But the church is his embassy. The church is where he works and, and Mary is delighted that the son of the most high, the son of God's people, the, the throne of David, the house of Jacob, as we saw earlier in this passage in the beginning part of it, all these things will be... Um, exhibited and established. And she's delighted in those things. The heart that has been opened and overflows um, longs to understand its own blessing, longs and delights to see God's purposes fulfilled in the world and works for those purposes, and then delights to come here with people like you. Look at this. Look at you all here the people of, of Israel engrafted to them that God has been faithful to this camp, to this people. Those are the three domains of your joy, of your happiness. Those are the, the three um, legs on the stool of a happy life. If God opens your soul, it will overflow when you see those things prospering. So, so far, we, we've seen 
we've seen the opening of the soul, the overflowing of the soul. And if we ended just right here, um, we would move on with life and wonder if January would keep us happy or not. Well, here's a newsflash. No. January will be just like last January. And that's why this little verse, this, this um, almost flyover verse, is so important to understand this pathway of Mary's happiness that the soul needs to be opened so that it can overflow. But once it overflows, it needs to learn to abide and wait. Mary remained for three months. You just move past that and you're like, all right, I'm on to the next part because the next part's a big deal. The shepherds, that's big time. You know, like children still dress up like shepherds 2,000 years later. So I'm going to get right to it, but, but stop there for just a moment. Think of Mary and her circumstances. Why did she go in haste to Elizabeth and Zechariah? Well, a close comparison to Matthew chapter 1 would seem to indicate that she left after Joseph didn't believe her. That's my best reading of the two together. You know, Joseph was going to send her away. The father was going to send her away. He was going to divorce her quietly, but you know what that means, right? However it intersects with this passage, it means that Mary told this story to Joseph, and he said, nah. Nope. There wasn't an angel. You slept with someone, and it's over. Think about Mary in that moment. It's clear to me that that moment was before the Magnificat. I believe, as best I can put the two together, that she left in haste with a broken heart. Thank you, God, for making me the mother of the Savior. A disgrace to my family, rejected by my betrothed. And so she rose and she went. Mary's journey, whatever its timing, was disruptive and filled with unhappiness. It certainly would be filled with unhappiness as she was told in the next scenes. But think about entering into um, Elizabeth's home. And expecting what? Well, an angel she knows had been there. Maybe someone was there that believed her. And being encouraged and welcomed in that bittersweet moment. This is the way happiness works in this world. In this world, the piercing equilibrium of joy is elusive always. Because this world doesn't have a lot of equilibrium. So the art of being happy is to accept the moment that it comes. 
and not believe that it's only real if you can hold on to it for a year or a month or a decade. It's also true that happiness is always mixed with something else in this world. As it was with Mary. But think about her future. She now realizes that this is true. Um, By the way, Joseph, we're told as soon as the angel visited him and said, Hey, Joseph, cool it. Which is, again, my version, my paraphrase. Like, Joseph, no, this is real. Well, we're told that Joseph took her right away. He came back and got her maybe these three months later. But they go to the temple, and this is what Mary This is what Mary hears from Simeon. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Do you think she regretted the Magnificat when she heard that? Of course not. She understood that in this age, in this world, the terms of happiness come in complex passages, or packages of joy and sorrow, of bitter and sweet, of happy and sad. She would need that joy for the next story is her son being tempted by the devil. Then years of his ascendancy. Then is a triumphal entry and his rejection by his people. And then she would see him crucified. Mary was not always happy. But her happiness was real. So what does that tell you this Christmas year? This season? What could you possibly get that would make you happy? My favorite toy of all time even now that I'm 60, was a Tonka crane I got when I was like five. And I was, I'm still excited about it. I don't know what happened to it. What do you need? Write down right now. What do you need to be happy? You know what two or three things you need. You're also at a point probably in life, if you're like over 10, that, that what you need isn't a thing to be happy. It's probably something important. It's probably something tender. It's probably someone or some relationship. Is it possible for you to be happy before or without that thing? Well, it's not if you only take it on your own terms. It's not if you must have that. It's not if you can't acquiesce to the purpose of God and say this Christmas morning and every morning afterwards, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to his word. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercies. I pray that you would uh, help us abide as Mary did. 
in that faith that she had, that faith by which we um, know she received her will, an arduous and blessed life that she had that made her blessed above all women, really made her for us a hero of the faith. Let us rest and acquiesce ourselves as your servants to receive your will and trust you for all things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.